Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. But, um, you know, we, I, I often get asked, uh, typically about people, like newcomers especially, like, uh, what should we expect when we come to the church and stuff? And I, uh, they said, you know, what's your position on money and that sort of thing? And, um, like, money is a currency of earth. In heaven, there's no money. Um, so, you know, for you and I, how are we? It's making me really nervous back there. <laughs> Thanks, man. Dano, as Dano. <laughs> but but I uh, but I do need to say a few things because uh, often um, what it, what ends up uh, what we what what um, what we what we don't bring to the light ends up developing in darkness, and we leave our culture to define what generosity actually really means. And and so I've had lots of conversations with people whether we believe in tithing or not. And I said, look. Um, you know, and, and typically these people have been, they've been going to church for quite a while, and they talk about, um, you know, like it's an old covenant thing, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you find people are, um, you know, experts in Old Testament theology, but they're really, really, I've never, can I just say something? I've never found anybody who's questioning tithing who wants to give more. I've never found anybody that's questioning the, the 10%, and really wants to give 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. It's typically you're looking for a loophole that I might, do I have to? You don't have to do anything, ever. You don't have to. But it's part of the Lordship of Christ. And, and to me, tithing, is it old covenant or new covenant? You know, um, it wouldn't it be easy if the Lord would just put, take that last book of the Bible and bumped it up into the New Testament? Wouldn't that have been much easier for us? Um, but. But here's the point, tithing like the, is a, just a percentage, it's proportionate as how God has blessed you. It's that simple. And, um, and I think it's kind of training wheels. It's just, it's just like getting started in a life of generosity. It's a, he exchanged his life for yours and now we exchange some of our life for his. And, um, and I'm finding that I, wherever I go, um, I was, I was at Lowe's the other day, and they asked, would you like to give a little extra? Well, I'm not going to not go back there because they've asked for a gift. Same with McDonald's. Lots of, have you, you noticed? Lots of people, well, don't <laughs> then get upset that we're saying, do you want to get free from some of the bondage around finances so you can walk in liberty around it? That's, that's really all we're trying to do. So... So I just think that um, this is like an over and above your gift. It's like an offering, and we give, and uh, that's what we do. And uh, the Lord has been incredibly faithful. And I think that when, we, when he can trust us with finances, he can trust us with greater spiritual riches. That's what the New Testament says. And it's, and it's beautiful. Uh, last week, two weeks ago, there's been a couple things that are sort of significant for me. La- uh, two weeks ago, I had my 60th birthday. I know, I know. I know, I know, it's, don't look a day over 40, I, it's, a, it's fine. Um, and um, I got a smoker for my birthday. I know, I quit, when I came to Christ when I was 24 years old, I quit smoking, I started smoking again. It's a joke. Meat, I'm smoking meat. <laughs> so, um, so that's lots of fun. I, I was getting my hair cut a couple of weeks ago, and um, 
Speaking of haircuts, what do you think about Avery here on the guitar? I say Avery's first time playing publicly. I, I gave her a picture of what I would like as a, a very stylish Italian guy, and I said, could you cut my hair like this? Well, she totally didn't at all. It was exactly the opposite. But she said, I can't make you look more any more Italian because you're, you're really not. And, uh, but she said, by the way, your hair has a history. Did you know that your hair has a, a history? I know my heart has a history. Paul Brandt says that. But my hair has a history, and it's going a certain way, and you can't make it do what it doesn't want to do. Did you know that? Your hair kind of gets going a certain way, and some of you, some of us who have hair, Carlo, we, this is an issue for us. And um, any, anyway, um, I was just thinking, and I, so I, I said, well, if my, if my hair has a memory, then um, what about the gray hairs? I know, this shouldn't have a memory. Like, don't you, isn't that what happens as your hair gets older? So, I had my 60th, that was awesome. Um, we also, um, 22 years ago last weekend, uh, my wife and family and I moved to Calgary to plant a church. And I'm really thankful for this man right here, Denzel Fan, who invited us. In order, when I meet people who are interested in being involved in ministry, I look for four things, I look for three things. I look, do you have the gift? <clears throat> do you have the call? And do you have the anointing? And sometimes we get that confused and we try and find our identity in our gift or in our anointing when, you're, when, you're, when your identity is found in your calling. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. He won't remove those. But the first thing that has to happen, and I have a hard time talking to people about this, I said, you can have all the gifts in the world all the anointings in the world and all the callings in the world, but if you don't get an opportunity, you're never going to be a minister. And so to, the requirement of that is that you walk in relational integrity with another person. And I find the hardest thing is to find people who are willing to... I, I don't, I'm not sure if I like the word submit or not, but submission means to come under another mission before you can be commissioned. Um, and I find it really, in, in, our, in our culture, that is very independent and individualistic, to understand that we are members one of another, this is a big revelation for people that they rarely get. And relationships tend to be disposable. And if I just don't like kind of what's going on there, I'll go someplace else, I'll go someplace else, and go someplace else. And you never get planted, and therefore you never bear fruit in your life. It's a really important thing. We are not a perfect church. But we are a place that has a few things that I really value and I really treasure and I really fight for. And I want to talk about that, that church that, because in my life, um, and I, shared, I want to share just a little bit of my story, is um, I, I grew up in a high-functioning home that went to church every week and often sometimes through the week. And, um, but that, that church wasn't able to release me into my destiny. And rather than complain about that church, the call that God has given me is to create a church that will do that. And sometimes when we get a bump in life, we mistake it for just a bump in life rather than an opportunity to walk through something so that we can have the authority to bring somebody else through something. And, um, and I know David Gilbin, when he's here, he mentioned that most of the people that are, do marriage seminars have been through a, a major crisis and their marriage came through it. Now they can bring other people through. This to me is what I would call the Goliath sword, <clears throat> where you take something <clears throat> that the enemy meant to decapitate you and you instead decapitate him. I am intent 
on seeing healing restored to the body of Christ. I am more e eager and more fervent than ever to see the miraculous power of God. In order to see a miracle, you have to be faced with a crisis. Most people would like to see a miracle without having to deal with a crisis. But in, in our, and, and I'm not sure what your crisis is, but it probably is a doorway to an opportunity to lead somebody else through that doorway. Because we were meant to be those who liberate captives. That's what we're meant to do. The big conflict in the, in the life of John the Baptist, when he was in jail, he was about to be beheaded, and he said uh, to the disciples of Jesus, he said, go ask him if he's really the one. What a strange question to ask, I think. Because he's the one that made the declaration, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the one who announced Christ's presence. He was the one who completely knew. But here's what happened is there he was in prison and the declaration of Christ, his mission to statement from Luke chapter 4 was he would open up prison doors. And so John sat behind a prison door wondering if you're really the one, why isn't my prison door open? And he says, well, here's what Jesus said to the disciples. He said, go tell him that the lame are, are made whole, that the, that the blind are able to see, that the deaf can hear. And he said, instead of focusing on the things that haven't happened yet, focus on the things that you're already seeing take place. Otherwise, we get disqualified and disappointed in our faith. Lots is going on in the body of Christ around the world. When people ask me the mission statement of this church, I said, I can't say it any better than Jesus, but to build his church. And what does that mean? That means to reach the lost, make disciples, and empower leaders. That's what it means. And so that's what we do. And over the summer, I just want to say how I appreciate different ones standing up to share their stories. And that, that, that you have allowed them to share their stories. And um, I'm not the only one that, that's been redeemed and, and uh, the, the only one qualified to minister. We're all under that new covenant of ministries. The, the qualification is, have you been with Jesus? Not have you been to seminary. And so, I'm getting a bit ahead of my, well, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Um, let me just take you to the scriptures and read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a bunch of verses. After, I've been in full-time ministry for just coming up to 30 years. My goal is to pastor the same church for 30 years. Forces me to keep growing and not just grow for two or three years, five or six times in different environments. I want to continue to grow. And I've come across some things in my life that I should have known 30 years ago. And one of those things is simply the gospel, that it's the power of God unto salvation. I'm coming back to the gospel. And, and I'm seeing for the first time things I should have saw a long time ago. This, what I'm going to share with you now could absolutely... Uh, um, create a bunch of questions in your mind, in your heart. But I'm going to read to you the Word of God. And, and what I want to do at the end of this service is I want to tell you about the, what I think um, uh, a church, I want to talk about this, our church. And I want to talk to you about the church I came from and how it, there were some pieces I think that weren't, weren't, weren't in place and the result of that was I walked away from God as a young man. And for about a decade, I wandered around the world, literally wandered, traveling by myself around the world two and a half times in about 10 years, lots of different places, lots of different experiences. And I really believe it's important that we reflect now and again where we came from. And I think back on that moment quite a bit. What happened? 
because I think that we need to have one of the best children's ministries, the best youth ministries, the best, best adult, uh, young adult ministries, because in those transition years, people tend to wander away. And so when I read in first, Second Corinthians chapter 5, talking about the resurrected body, it's because we know this fear of the Lord that we work so hard to persuade others. God knows that we're sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we trying to pat ourselves on the back again? No. We're giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart before God. If it seems that we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Whatever we do, it's the love of Christ compels us. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, this is a big point. Didn't just die for those who would receive him. He died for everyone. <clears throat> Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we have also died to our old life we used to live. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they'll live to, live to please Christ who died and was raised for them. Now listen to this. So we've stopped evaluating ourselves by what the world thinks about them. Once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way, as though he were merely a human being. How differently I think about him now. This, speaks, this is about me. How differently I think about him now. What this means is that those who become Christians become new people, new persons. They're not the same anymore, for the old is gone and a new life has begun. That's my story. That's my song. All this newness of life is from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. And God has given us that task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He, hear this, church. He's no longer counting your sins against him. He did that in the cross of Christ. Your sin is no longer being brought up before him. It's in the sea of his forgetfulness. If it's brought up, it's not brought up by God. It's brought up by your old self or your enemy of your soul. And it says, this is wonderful. This is a wonderful message he has given us to tell others. This is the good news, that we are his ambassadors now. And God's using us to speak to you. And we urge you as though Christ himself were here pleading with you, be reconciled to God because God has been reconciled to you. That's the good news. That's, a, that's wonderful news. There's no other religion in the world that has a savior. Every other religion in the world, you gotta save yourself. You gotta do stuff to appease the deity. That's been done. And that's great news. Really good news. My privilege to preach that to you today. We urge you as though Christ himself were here pleading with you, be reconciled to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's my story. It's a, it's a profound story. A profound story. Um, when, when I... When, I, when people ask me about our church, I say, uh, I tell them a number of things. First of all, I say we like each other. Uh, it should be, should be taken for granted. Oh, when Kel and I say we like to be here, it means we really, really like being here. This is our, this, you're our homies. Can I use that term? I don't know what it means. <laughs> it just sounded right. 
but you're our people. You're our tribe. You're our people. I feel at home here. I like you. I, hopefully along the way you'll start to like us. No, I mean it. I meet people all the time to go to churches they don't like and they don't like their pastor. Well, here's a word from the Lord. Find another one. Really, don't sit around and be grumpy. It'll rub off on people. Come and be happy because there's other people that depend on your happiness and your joy for them to find Christ. It's not up to me or the worship team. It's up to all of us. We're all members of his body. So I said, we're a happy bunch. We smile, we clap, we like being together, we celebrate, we're loud. We pray loud, sing loud, talk loud. We're a loud bunch. If you're quiet, the, go, there's a great bunch of quiet churches, go there. We're loud. Our music is loud. Our we wear loud colors. We're loud. Man, we're, we're, what? And we're, we're spirit people too. We like the Holy Spirit. We, we talk in tongues around here. If that bothers you, like, read the Bible. If it's not there, don't do it. If it's there, you should be doing it. We talk in tongues. We speak in tongues. I pray in tongues every day, 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes at night. It doesn't show, I know, but I'm into that. The Bible says, do that, I do that. Paul said, I talk in tongues more than you all. We're Holy Spirit people. At the end of this service, we're expecting the Holy Spirit to move, to activate the word that I'm preaching over you right now. We believe that's going to happen. That's important. Because I believe that a theology without an experience is useless. An experience without theology is fantasy. Are you, this is a two-edged sword. It's like decaffeinated coffee. Like, what's the use? What is the use? I met a guy yesterday at the co-op, and he had a new Camaro, an SS. I had a moment of Camaro envy, and I walked over. I said, what? How big's your motor? This is what guys do sometimes at gas stations. We want to know about the motor, what's inside. Okay, and... Um, he told me how big the motor was. Uh, I was impressed. <laughs> but, he, but he said this. this, is, this. He said, that, but it also comes in a six and a four-cylinder. I said, really? A Camaro with a four-cylinder. What's the use? You may as well be a Tercel. Or like a, one of them electric ones or something. Like, what's the use? A theology without an experience. Here's what happened to me. I was told a whole bunch of stuff, but what I needed to taste and see that the Lord was good. I needed an experience. That's what I needed. All right, so I tell people, you come on up to church, we're going to have an experience. I think that's important. I tell them that we're a bunch of ordinary people that are in love with an extraordinary man. His name is Jesus. And that makes us extraordinary. Um, I tell them that. I say we're just ordinary people. This is what happened when people hung around with Jesus, fishermen. Now, I'm a fisherman and I'm a hunter. And the big deal about being a fisherman is catching fish. And you get bragging rights when you catch bigger fish. And or you get bragging rights when you catch a whole bunch of fish. So probably it's quite likely that in the hearts and minds of these fishermen, the greatest goal and the purpose of their life would just be catch bigger and more fish. But something happened when they had an interaction with Jesus. All of a sudden they wanted to change the world. When you come in contact with the most high God in that dimension, something changes on the inside of you. And strength calls out to strength. And you begin to say, hey, listen, I think I've got something inside of me that's worth talking about. I think I've got something inside of me that actually connects with the DNA of the universe. I think I'm created to make a difference. When you hang around with Jesus, that'll happen. 
You want to do something awesome because the awesome one lives within you. I tell them that. I said, we believe that we can do awesome things because the awesome one lives within me. Our goal is to present what looks spotty and wrinkled, clean and pressed. We're the bride of Christ. I'm a fanatic about the local church. It's an impossible process without your cooperation or my cooperation. This is a two-edged sword again. I said we're tenacious about truth. And if you're not, you won't be comfortable in our church services. You won't be. And that's why we love the scriptures, because we believe they're actually the word of God. And every other world has to align with it. The word of the Lord that lives and abides forever. That's what we believe. You can rip the pages out of the Bible if you want, but it will not change the word of God. If you can't see it, you won't do it. And I'm, I'm, I'm unapologetic about my preaching because I've prayed and i processed my thoughts, but don't confuse that with purity of perfection. I'm in a process of sanctification. You're all permitted and required to search out the scriptures for yourself because that is our plumb line. What if we were that church? I grew up in a church, but it wasn't that church. I grew up in a church. It was a good church, I thought. But this happens many times in, um, in our, in, in around, around in Canada. The simple truth that I'm loved, accepted, and justified because of what Jesus did plus nothing is the gospel. Uh, Romans chapter 11 and verse 6, it says it like this. It says, and if they are saved by God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's wonderful kindness would not be uh, re- would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. That's what salvation is. It's free and it's undeserved. That's amazing. Because I kind of heard the gospel like this. Jesus, Jesus made a payment for your salvation, but he, it wasn't paid in full. There's still some things you need to do. You still need to show up for church. You still need to tithe. You still need to read your Bible every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. You still need to go on mission trips, you still need to, you know, stop this and stop that and all that. But my Bible says it a little bit different. It, it says that he justifies the ungodly. This is a, and here's my question, well, who else, who else is there? It says that Christ was a friend of sinners. So who else was there? We, we get kind of funny and about that stuff, I know. I want to be a church that's friends of sinners. Of who I'm one. I'm in a process of working out stuff, and so are you. I want want to be that church. I'm still amazed. I still amaze myself when I think about what happened on August the 30th, 1981. I was totally transformed from the inside out. I I was absolutely a different person. While we were in Saskatoon, we stayed at the Sheraton down on the river, and I walked past the courthouse three or four times. I couldn't help but remember A month after I gave my life to Christ, I spent an evening in a jail cell there. I know. Yeah. And I thought uh, to myself, as I was sitting in a little holding tank, you don't even know why I was there right yet. That's to build some tension in the room. (laughs) But, But maybe you've heard me say this before. I sat there in that room all alone, and I looked up on that pale green wall, and I see carved in the wall, Jesus loves you. I said, yeah, I know, but if that's the case, why am I in prison? I'm, I'm freshly saved. I'm, I'm, I've, I've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. What was I doing there? 
And boy, if God ever spoke clearly to me, he spoke to me then. He said, I wanted to show you what you were saved from. Not what you're saved for, but what you've been saved from. Spent that night in, that, in a jail cell, a demoniac on both sides, one trying to kill himself, and the other just manifesting all night. And I thought, oh man, I've never been so happy to be out of here. That next morning, my friend Bucky came and picked me up. So what happened to you? Like I went home from a party because I said, I don't belong here. I've given my life to Christ. I sat in the, it was, it was Oktoberfest, it was the beginning of October. You didn't not go to Oktoberfest when you lived the life I led. And I ordered a beer, I ordered another, and you know, they just tasted terrible. They just didn't taste the same. My appetites had changed, my desires had changed. My view on life had changed because my heart had changed. And so I said, I'm going home, and I went back to my buddy's place, and I took out the Bible, and I said, Lord, you gotta speak to me. And it wasn't four minutes later, the doorbell rang, and there was a police, he said, are you Lauren Tempett? I said, yeah, he said, we got a warrant for your arrest, would you come with us, please? I thought, what the? <laughs> I mean, I didn't, you know, I just, really? And it was, a bit, it was a bit chaotic, and I probably felt a little bit like John the Baptist at that point. Because I thought, Lord, this is what you delivered me from. I, you remember me? I'm that guy that you saved and delivered. I'm that guy. I'm that guy that took all of my drugs and threw them out my window. I'm that guy. I'm that guy that turned my back on that, uh, that community of friends so I could be part of this quirky church. I didn't really like the church. They were, I, I left that church because it wasn't that church that was friends of sinners. It was that church that pointed fingers at sinners. And I was one of them, and I still am one of them. But I'm better than I was. Because Jesus had got work in my heart and my life. It was complicated, but I had to tell Kelly as we walked by. I said, I know what's on the inside of that building, and I know what's in the basement, and I know I never want to go back there again. Once we've been set free, we don't, why should we ever want to go back? <laughs> and so, but I think that's what happens sometimes. We think, we hear the gospel that Jesus paid a price. It's like he made a minimum payment on your credit card, but you're going to have to fill out the, pay the balance yourself. That's not the case, that's not the gospel. But that's not the gospel, you have to do something more for your salvation. Listen to me, this is a problem for us, I know. Well, you mean then, you mean we can just live any way we want? Well, you haven't read the rest of the story. Because what the gospel does, it's here's the gospel, man is now reconciled to God. Your vertical relationship is awesome, but you've got a horizontal relationship you've got to work out. Sin will destroy your life because it opens the door for the prince of darkness to come in and wreck your life. But sin is no longer an issue with God. It's an issue with you and I. It's not an issue with him. He's no longer accounting my, this is an accounting term here, or imputing or recon, reconciling. He looks on, the, on my bank statement of my life and he says, paid in full. That's the gospel. There's nothing else I can do for it. It's all been done. What a thing. But in my religious mindset and my religious upbringing, I thought I had to do a whole bunch of other things. And that was the problem. Um, I've been reading a book called The Blue Parakeet, um, re -re uh, um, a fresh way of reading the New Testament. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Scott McKnight. He's a, a seminary professor in, um, out on the East Coast someplace. It's a great book. But here's what he does with any, any, any seminary student that comes in. He does this. He gives them a Jesus test. And so he, he's got 30 questions, and he asks them, the G Jesus says, what, what do you think about Jesus? What, what do you think Jesus was like, is what it was. 
And he asked them a bunch of questions. Uh, like, um, what do you think Jesus was like? Uh, um, was he talkative? And then you answer yes or no. Um, did, his mo- did his moods go up and down? And you, you know, did he worry about money? Uh, does he often feel lonely? I just need to clean Kleenex. I'm starting to leak a little bit. Someone got a Kleenex. Um, instead of sniffling all the time. Thanks so much, Tate. Uh, it's fascinating because, and then he does a test, pardon me, and then he does a test about them. And what do you like? Ask, them, ask the same questions. Just check yes or no. Do you, uh, are you talkative? Do your moods go up and down? Do you worry about money? Do you feel lonely? Amazingly, this has been field tested over and over, he says, amazingly, although all, almost all of the seminary students would say that they're being conformed to the image of Christ, it turns out that everyone thinks Jesus is just like them. How convenient. Would the real Jesus please come forth? <laughs> well, that's what happens. We create character, caricatures of Christ. And many times how we think of Christ is how we look at our earthly father or an earthly authority figure. So our, our home of origin is so important. Our homes of origin were meant to shape our children. It's from the, the, the law first mentions. What they hear the first time and what they see the first time becomes a grid now of how they see, view life. And, and that's what we're, so what happens, so actually, if they've actually heard about the, the love of Christ and their, incre- their full and complete acceptance and, uh, you know, that <laughs> there's no such thing as evolution or uh, global warming, if they hear about that from you, then wherever they go from there on in, they say, no, 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 that's, that's, that's not, because they've got a grid. But rather than teach our children, they end up, we end up being taught, and then their first experience comes from the culture rather from at home. My parents were awesome. But we didn't have many talks. If we had talks, they were often about work to do in the farm. They were never about life, really, not really, really about the things of life. Parents, teach your children, talk to your children, have a conversation. I find that more people are hurt by words that are not said than words that were said. And when you think back in your life, you say, uh, you know what, I actually didn't have too many harsh words said against me. Uh-huh. What were the words you wished you heard? And many times we're silent with the things, and, and, and I've told you so many times before how, and I've wrote a list of things, things I wish my dad would have said. I've got a page full of those. Because dads have incredible influence. So do moms have incredible influence. But after, when I wrote down that list on a page, and then I said, okay, my kids are going to hear those things. That's what I'm going to do. I took the thing that could have been harmful and hurtful to me, and I turned that sucker around, I grabbed the Goliath sword, and I'm now taking off the head of the enemy for my family line. That's what I'm doing. So, we, so this, is, this is what went on in my life. Let me just kind of give you, the, I know I've shared the gospel a lot, but um, that church, that church, um, that church, the greatest and the worst advertisement for Christianity is you. Uh, this summer I stood at the graveside of my uncle, and, and, and my cousin was there, and she said, Lauren, I'm so sorry for you because my dad called you a long-haired hoodlum. I go, well, that's what it was. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> He's completely right. He's totally right. Uh, he could have added more adjectives, actually. They asked me if I'd lead the worship set for his funeral. And, and when I recalled my uncle, because what he used to do... Um, 
My, my, did anybody have an uncle like this who smoking was not allowed in your church, so what he did after cigarettes have a mint, and thinking that the mint would take, right? So now it smelled like smoky mint, kind of. <laughs> Y'all knew, right? You, you, you can't hide smoking. Uh, you know what? I'm smoking again. Um, <laughs> ribs, <laughs> briskets. But, um, but here's what I remember. He used, to, he used to do stuff that I didn't agree with, and he had led these double lives. And I thought, I looked at that church, and I said, that's what that church is producing. So I said, I won't have anything to do with that. I'm going to live my own hypocritical life. That's what I'm going to do. Um, I recall that day at, at his funeral that when I came forward at the salvation call, he was the first one that stood behind me. And I was able to say, I'm so thankful for my uncle. He said, no, but he called you names. I said, those names were right. I deserve them. But here's the fact, when I, took, I made a decision to make a right decision, he was there as well. Um, this, this church I'm referring to that can liberate, um, I'm, I'm told in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 that I've been bought with a price that's infinitely greater than the sins of the world. One drop of the blood of Christ is greater than all of the sin in the entire world. That's the gospel. How liberating and freeing to finally understand that nobody ever goes to hell because of their sins. They seem so hard. This seems so hard to accept. You only end up in hell because you rejected the payment for your sin. It was, it was for the entire world that Christ died. There's only one type of people in the world, forgiven people. Now, have they responded to the gospel yet? That's our part. That's a big deal. It's called religion when we have to earn our salvation or self-salvation. It's, like it's like a hamster wheel. It'll wear you out. What follows is that God, we think this, that God only works and moves in our life when we're good enough or worthy enough. We, that we have tied his ability to our relative goodness, and that's not good news. The good news is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God is good because of Christ. Our mission is now reconciling man to God. No one on Judgment Day will be able to point at Christ and say, no fair. We have free will. That means you are free to reject such a great salvation or ignore all of the messages, all of the obstacles, and all of the barriers he puts in front of you. But no one will be able to say it's not fair. What a massive misconception. The big story, our God is not letting people die and go to hell. He's rec he has reconciled man to God. What a lie. Ma the parable of Matthew 20 and verse 15, the master shows his goodness and his kindness, and the workers are angry. And he says at the end of that par parable, should you be angry because I'm kind and good? We, re we have to sing, he is good, he is good, he is good, he is good. Because we're not sure. And we'll never trust somebody we're not sure of, will we? But he's good. That's, that's, that is great news. We're in danger of creating a culture of spiritual voyeurism. Those who are excited to watch, but too prideful and selfish to step squarely into the messy arena of loving others beyond reason and caring beyond what is common. No one gets saved. Can I just say this in closing? That no one gets saved by saying a prayer and walking to the front of a church. You, Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can do that from right where you're sitting. But I think it's important you put some action behind what you're, what you're believing in your heart. Make it visible. 
you, and do something about it. This morning, I'm going to invite people who haven't accepted Christ before, understanding what he has done for you, not what you have to do for him. But understanding what he, because we're that church that believes that the price has been paid for our great salvation. We're that church. That's the kind of church we are. Christ works in community. It's the only way he works. And isolation and independence are common in our culture, but we are countercultural. For me, this was a very hard shift that we're members one of another. I had a pretty good group of friends. Maybe you haven't understood this yet. This is a big deal. I mean, I'll preach on this in September, that we're members one of another. I'd like to say a lot about that. I'm just, I just feel I ran out of time, but uh, we're members one of another. And what the enemy does is he works to get you offended so he can isolate you from your community and your tribe and your people. That's, that's one of his primary jobs. I want to be this church. What kind of a church is that? That church that's forgiving, that's fun, and that frees others. That's what I want to be part of. That's what I've chosen in my life as our path. I want to be part of that church that not just talks about Jesus, but lives and loves like Jesus. That seeks out the hopeless and the hurting and the heartbroken and infuses their future with hope. That sees and feels the desperation of the fatherless and offers them an opportunity to come on home. That church that accepts the marginalized and the misunderstood, not just as they are, or just as they are, and loves them back to wholeness. I want to be that church. That church that has relational integrity and is not ex exclusive and elitist, but inclusive of friends of sinners. I want to be that church. I want to be that church that doesn't point at sinners, but empathizes because it's living out its sanctification real time, authentically, that it's relating with open arms, embraces and enfolds others. I want to be the church that doesn't talk about the power of the gospel, but dem demonstrates the power in and through broken vessels filled with the light, the love and the life of Jesus. I want to be that church that's designed to expand and explode, not silence, not small, but strong and solid. I want to be that church that's not hidden in a huddle of holy ones, but is a countercultural, uh, countercultural of courageous ones that are scarred by life and scorned by the religious elite. That they are those that carry the revelation that they are lavishly loved by the Father and untouchable by the Prince of Darkness. That church, in fact, they see their enemy as an ex-employee of heaven and overcoming is their inheritance and sons and daughters of the great king of heaven. I want to be that church. I want to be that church that known it's born to rule over darkness and depression, that they're designed as a strategic, tactical, military, spiritual force to plunder hell and silence the demonic, destructive messages that lie, steal, and kill. The heart and the soul of those that the Lord of glory came to save. We are that church that says no to sickness, poverty, and oppression. We are that church that rescues, restores, and redeems those held captive by satanic lies and spiritual blindness. We are that church that establishes kingdom rule by preaching and praying in the full manifestation of Christ Jesus' redemptive work of destroying the power of sin, sickness, depression, and discouragement. We are C3 Church, a high-functioning part of the Church of Calgary. That church that was purchased by the blood of Jesus who is the head of his church and we are filled with the Holy Spirit and fire and we will not be silenced until the king comes again. We're that church. Stand with me as I try to wrap it up now. There's different types of churches. There's a kind that actually penetrates 
fearlessly penetrates culture. And we're not going to do it alone because we, the Bible says it's not good for men to be alone. He means women as well. If you've been caught by the lies of religion, that there's something you still need to do or clean up, if you've been held captive by a stronghold of performance, it's you I want to pray for this morning. If you've been told that you're not enough, you're not spiritual enough, good enough, you don't read your Bible enough, you don't give enough, you don't all that enough, or you should and you ought and all that, if you're bound by that type of heresy in your head, I'm here this morning to pray liberty and freedom for you. If you feel that, how, how do I say this? That church is something that wants something from you, that then wants something for you. I want to pray for you. If you've been blaming the church, the blood-bought church of Christ, if you've been blaming it for something to happen in your life, I want to help you get past that this morning. If you feel bound by religion, I want to pray for you this morning. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, if you haven't believed in your heart the gospel that God paid for all the sins of all mankind in the body of Christ, and on the other side of that is new life, I want to pray for you as well. We're just going to sing, He is good. And while they're singing that, I'd like those who would like to respond, to step, just to come forward. This is the morning where the claws, the, 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 these, the, the, the clutch of religiousness and, and that binding message that you got to do something to earn your salvation. This morning, that lies crushed in Jesus' name. Just close your eyes and sing, He is good. And while he's doing that, while we're singing that, I want you just to respond so I can pray for you all. We hope this message has impacted you. For more information about what's going on, please check out our website at myc3church.ca. Now go change your world.